Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I am the Grumpy Surfer and your host Ads Lyson. Before we crack on, I have a couple of discount codes for you. For 15% off your Northcore outdoor and surfing gear, use the code capital letters GRUMPYPOD15 to get 15% off at the checkout. Likewise, the guys at Braw Surf have given all podcast listeners 20% off their merchandise by using the code capital letters Grumpy Surfer. Also give their YouTube channel a visit and a subscribe because they've got some awesome content on there. Okay, in light of the recent events in Afghanistan, I'd like to put my point of view across. I've served in Afghanistan for three tours over a 10 year period. It is the most beautiful country I've ever been to, full of culture, history and amazing scenery. It was our job in Afghanistan to go there and rid the country of the Taliban, which the majority of the population did not want around, nor tie themselves with harbouring terrorists. I went over there, lost a lot of friends and gained some life experiences to fill at least 10 lifetimes. Yes, I feel I made a difference and hope the losses we suffered meant something. However, as a nation and Western society, to give such short notice to leave a country in dire need of help, then up and go, almost throw the middle finger up at the Afghans after helping them build a society and a little bit of normality that they were craving, and then say, see you later fuckers, you're on your own, is unforgivable. Like a lot of veterans and serving personnel, the level of anger that I felt over the last week has been quite overwhelming. Which leads me on to this podcast this week. Today's podcast is with the guy that almost paid the ultimate price in Afghanistan, but in helping secure a struggling country, he lost three limbs in the process. During his recovery pathway, he found surfing, which, if you listen to his passion talking about surfing, is his saviour. And for many other veterans that have been helped with surfing through lots of different charities. So, please enjoy my conversation with an absolutely extraordinary and inspiring human being, the one limb surfer, Martin Pollock. Martin Pollock, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Couple of questions to start then. How yeah. are you? Where are you? And when was the last time you surfed? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all good. Uh, hot, but <laughs> for once. Um, well, actually not for once, because I usually run warm, but this is hot for here. Yeah. Um, but I'm at home in uh, Cornwall. I'm down on the on the Lizard, so I'm about four miles away from being as far south as you can on the main, mainland. Um and then, actually, my uh, when was it? It was only a few days ago. No, no, nearly a week, nearly a week ago now. But it was like I thought it was okay, even though being not that great. But I got down there and it was terrible. So I was only in the water about fifteen minutes and got out. <laughs> Where did so, you surf um, locally then? Um, well, um, Holju Beach, which is like it's less than a mile from my house. So that's that's my usual one. Um, but sometimes I go over to Prasans and um, there's Church Cove and a couple of places very occasionally on the north coast. But especially this time of year, I don't really go over there. It's just uh, way too many people. Yeah, I know all of those places really well. Uh, part of yeah. Being part of the Navy surf team, 
We right. used to do like beginners weekends, which is like teaching uh, forces dependence how to surf mm. over a weekend period. So right, we used okay. to stay down. What's the pub called at the top of Senan? Um, mm. I can't remember I what the name know. is. It yeah. basically know, there's a not. there's a pub at the top, and yeah. uh, we used to camp behind it. Okay. Um, but we got we got banned from staying there because one night after a few beers inside the church hall they had a load of like theater costumes in the back and we kind of got dressed and they caught us doing that and we got banned from it so yeah i've been down there since <laughs> yeah that, that'll do it <laughs> yeah so what i'd like to talk to you about mate is if you don't mind me saying you are a triple amputee uh, mm -hmm. that happened during Afghanistan. We'll come on to talking uh, about that a little bit later on. But yeah, sure. what I think really ties nicely in with kind of the niche of the podcast is the fact that you are ex-serving military mm -hmm. and you surf, which, and to a really good standard, if anyone has never seen Martin surfing um, with his adapted surfing board, Surfing board that sounds me makes me sound really kooky, doesn't it? <laughs> if anyone's ever seen Martin surf on any of the YouTube videos and any of the social media stuff, you are super good, mate. If you don't mind me saying. Oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> appreciate it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I know I'm doing all right, but I'm not not where I want to be yet. I'm not doing the things I want to be doing. So, uh, to me, it's still not quite good enough. So. <laughs> well, I think that's the military side of you talking, the the part where you've trained to do something, but it's never good enough. And I don't think even if you hit the peak where you think you want to be, that will never be good enough either. No, 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 you can't. Uh, no. It probably, that's probably right. Um, but partly I think there as well with surfing is you can never do it perfectly anyway. So you're always going to it's always just more trying to be as good as possible not um, and you can always be better so. <laughs> so well unless you go down the soul surfer route where you kind of like it's a spiritual thing and a way of life <laughs> as opposed to um um it is a bit like that for me but there's because it's because it's not just the competition side of it but even when i'm just cruising and having fun and that it's i'm i'm always trying something or or there might be something, whether it's the positioning or picking the right spot to paddle out, or there's always something that I'll make mistakes with and try and improve and that. So, um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a mixed bag on that between just wanting to just go and surf and experience as many different ways as possible around the world, but then also the competitive side. So, um, yeah, <laughs> and I think that that fire that that side does fire me up more than on in general. But I, I do like the um, like you say the soul surfer, free spirit kind of thing as well. Yeah. Do you find the mental side of it? I mean, I was going to talk about this a little bit later on, but you know, we're we're yeah. here now. So, do yeah. you find the mental side of it is really really helpful? I mean, I'll give you a little bit of point, of, uh, sort of like a comparison. I've done a few tours of Afghan and stuff, and I think that if I didn't have something to focus on, like surfing or, you know, jujitsu, I'd probably, I'd maybe struggle a little bit more mentally. And I have found over the years now that I have looked to breathing, yoga, 
meditation if you want to call it that. I don't like calling yeah. meditation at the moment for some reason. I just call it breathing with my eyes closed. Yeah. But I find right. it has a, a real sort of like calming influence to me. Do you do you find that to an extent? Um, uh, do you mean with surfing on its own or the, all the other bits as well? Yeah, just all, all the bits all and bobs yeah. that come with it because, you know, the breathing mm. side of things, but also yeah. being out in the water kind of ties in together yeah. really nicely i think yeah um no i i do um I, I do that stuff as well um and the yoga and the meditation i kind of got introduced to during rehab um at, at headley court and um the same with surfing as well i didn't learn till during rehab um and it was kind of all similar sort of time frame um i think um Oh no, uh, surfing might have been first, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I do find it helps. Um, I think for me, having something to focus on and work on is more beneficial than the activity itself. Um, as I, I've found now, it's like yeah, because I'm in this lucky position where because of everything, I don't actually have to have a specific job. Like I don't have to work, but. I have to work from my head and for me to be even satisfied with my life. So yeah, I got to work with work on my surfing, my, um, my, more my body for that. Um, and yeah, the breathing, all that comes into and does help. But for me, like through the work that I've done with operation surf, which does that sort of thing of introducing surf into military, like you were saying you did with the, um dependence and they they do do a dependence thing as well but it's more directly for the guys affected by the service and um through the work with them a lot of the guys say like just being in the water is beneficial and just doing that is good but for me that it's not really like that it's like i could go out there and it i can't go out there if it's crappy it's like i need i need to go and actually be having decent rides to enjoy it and and actually be practicing working on the stuff that i'm trying to do to actually get that satisfaction and then the good feeling afterwards um but then through what i've learned with the meditation and look and i look because i look i looked into some of the research and stuff behind it and look at studies that have been done it like where they have i've seen some stuff where they had monks in ct scanners looking at what their brain's actually doing while they're doing it and the actual the effects that can happen on the brain is is the calming bit and so i i, I believe in it and i like it and it works um and i've kind of tried to put that practice like the breathing focus practice over into other things as well um like where I've recently, well, not recent, a few months ago, sort of tweaked training a little bit um, from doing so much of the heavy strength stuff to more um, some of the postural control and actual mobility and control work from my shoulder joints and getting everything in the right spot. And so I'd even put into having that that focus. If I notice my shoulders sort of rounding through and stuff, is I have that moment of, okay, right, bring it back, pull them back in the right spot and hold it there for a bit and it's just constantly I'm like and I do the same with breathing not just when I'm meditating but all the time 
if I notice I'm drifting off that pattern, like the slow control pattern, I'll try and bring it back. And yeah, I try and apply it all through. So. <laughs> and as far as headspace goes and that, I'm, yeah, I don't think I've been in a better spot like ever. So, um. Have you ever read a book called The Balloon Mind? Yeah, I'm actually in it. <laughs> are you what yeah, the yeah. uh the wallace j nichols one yeah yeah because I, I met him a couple of years before or while oh, okay. he might have been while he was writing that and he um because he lives just north of santa cruz i think and he'd come along to some of the upsurf events and and then they did a, a conference um for the release of the book and they did it up um uh Bidruth and steps up on the north coast of cornwall and yep. i went up, went up there actually did a talk for him and that so um that's yeah, really interesting at, that's apparently i'm actually mentioned in the book as well at some point i'm not i, <laughs> I didn't actually get that far through reading it to be honest <laughs> I, I read it a couple of times last year i found it really interesting all the concepts about you know why humans are are drawn to water and especially yeah. like you live on the mainland everyone goes on holiday and they're drawn to like swimming pools and they want to sit by a pool as opposed to like, yeah I, I just find all that kind of concept really kind of intriguing and when you really look into the into sort of like the psychological and almost biological aspects of it yeah it, it does make sense yeah and, and, it, and it makes sense to make sense to me which is you know yours comparing things to what you're doing or how you're thinking especially as you get older i think that's one of the key elements of wisdom right is that you look back on things and you learn from them. And if you don't, well, you're just stupid. But that, that's kind of how I felt that book really affected me. Um, yeah, I should really go back and see if you're in it. Yeah, that's why uh, apparently. But like, I'm I'm like that with books anyway. It's like I'll, I start getting going and maybe get like quarter to halfway through, and then I get distracted and forget about it. <laughs> I think books like that sometimes, I don't know whether you find, is that they are quite hard going sometimes. Mm. Look, I'm I'm not a big reader. No. I'm more no. about inter reading books I like about, you know, surfer biographies. I read them and then I get bored with them. I then go into like fiction, go into like stuff about, you know, Lord of the Rings and yeah. Um, all all you know fantasy stuff i prefer reading that sort of thing right but when i do actually sit down and, and read something like that i have to really concentrate on it and i right. do have to go back and read read back over chapters to like to like really take it in but i think that's just kind of a thing that was something that happened at school because i was never really right that into education if i'm perfectly honest <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I was the same. Once I started needing glasses, and that meant I couldn't do because I, I always wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was a kid. So once once I couldn't do that anymore, I was just like school. <laughs> that I didn't bother. So, um, but um, the, the, yeah, on the like we said about the um, uh, the biology side of it as well as the mental, um, I think part of that and why I think why I think surfing in particular becomes so beneficial is um, to do with partly can it's, it's partly to do with connecting to nature but because we're part of it anyway um, but it's all to do with like energy transference I think 
is like there's a bit, I don't know if you've seen um, the movie Thundercloud, you know, about that 2012 swelling cloud break that happened during the COT, CT comp. I think like, I have a while big, back, like, yeah. Massive swell, like, but like that film is, I, I has got a little few goosebumps thinking about it, but <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, absolutely mental. But at the end of it, uh, Mark Healy was talking about this same sort of thing um, and saying how, it, and it's basically like with how the planet gets the energy and those that how the systems work with the sun coming down and charging the oceans, creating the storms that make the swell. And because you know, like energy is never ch- created or destroyed; it's only transformed and moved through. So you've got all that energy coming from the sun, then that's going through as your wave energy. That's then breaking. Sun's going off as sound energy, and and because we're mo- like inside, we're like the planet we're like 70 percent salt water it's like you know it's just passing into us and i think that's probably a big part as to why being in the water and especially the ocean is like so beneficial it's definitely it's definitely i don't understand like i'm going off on a real tangent here and going a bit Mm. deep but Mm. it is definitely a healing place and it's really noticeable especially with my wife uh, when I haven't been in the water for a few weeks or had, there's been a decent run of swell. Been really lucky since January through to maybe the beginning of May when we had some decent swells running. Yeah. Uh, managed to score a few really decent reefs. And I think yeah. sometimes you kind of get greedy with it too. Right. And then now where it's, you know, super hot, there's no swell running at all. There's no wind either. You're no. kind of like chundering a bit because it's the summer. And you're like, oh, I can't wait till the winter again. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're you're always trying to uh, trying to better the last wave, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit, go back and talk about your life before the military. So, where did you grow up, and why did you join the army? Um, well, I actually still live in the same village I grew up, so like right right down down here in Cornwall. Um, um, luckily though. Um, my parents actually moved down here when I was like six months old because um, they were working for Naffy at the time when I was born. Oh, really? actually, yeah, yeah. They were actually running one of the pubs on one of the Paris barracks in Aldershot. So I was actually, I was actually born there um, and then they moved down here. Um, and then, and I guess it's kind of a tie to that with like most of the men and family had been in and been in the army. So um, like my, my mum's dad was, uh, I forget, I think it was engineers in North Africa during the Second World War. And then um, my other, my dad's dad was one of the first paras actually, um, and was actually in Arnhem during, during the war. So, yeah, so it was always going to be that way. But that's where I look back on my choices. And I was that that point with maybe going paras as well or trying to, but I... Uh, I went rifles in the end. That was uh, that was what called me more. So, uh, what what made you get drawn towards the rifles? <laughs> well, <laughs> this is a little bit of a random story, actually. But when I went to selection, I was actually going for aircraft tech in the Remi, and I had all the grades, all the, everything I needed to pass, all the extra aptitude tests, and everything. But there you go. Oh, your uncorrected eyesight on the medical requirements is too weak. So you can't go in the Remy. So I was like, okay. And they gave me a list of jobs to choose from. So I had like 
there was a nurse and radiographer and all the all these there's like a full a4 sheet of pay of list of jobs and and i kind of got narrowed down to that and when what i was looking at it just yeah just that called out to me more so <laughs> so. so when did you join up what year um that was 08 um i actually started um training the beginning of the october in 08 and then deployed to afghan exactly a year later so. well, that's a pretty quick turnaround yeah got out of basic straight to the beginning of the pre-deployment training and then and then straight out yes so i i'd returned from herrick 5 in 2007 and then i went straight on to like a recruit training team i took a bunch of recruits through and they pretty much did something very similar to you they Mm -hmm. they went through their their basic training and then you know, within six months to a year of, of passing out yeah. there, that you know they were struck on the ground up in Helmand, which is, yeah. you know, I, I guess that I guess these days, uh, the, the way that things are, where there's not much going on, I say COVID's not, you can't rate that, but you know, wartime situation, no. that's kind of what you join up for, though, right? Well, yeah, it's to do what you needed to do, yeah, it's, uh, and do, yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah, that is. <laughs> That's what you join up to do, yeah. That's, uh, how did you feel about passing out of train and going straight out to Afghan? You know, do you remember how you felt before you went? Um, no, I, d- I didn't. I don't really. No, not really. I was just in the flow of doing it all. I never. I don't really remember any worries or anything like that. It was just going to be going and doing the job. That's and what I signed up to do. So. Because you're in the cycle, aren't you? And you're with the lads, and you just go yeah. along with it anyway. And you get told what to do, and you're like, "Ah, fuck it, I'll just, yeah. just, just, just go with the flow." I've got a few weeks off before I go. Oh, brilliant! There, yeah, let's make the most of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, and I don't have, um, I don't have any even like my own family or anything like that to have any worries coming from outside or anything like that. And um, but yeah, yeah. And that, actually, that's kind of a funny one. I might have put the. Um, I might have cursed myself because in that we had like like the couple of weeks we had before actually deploying and I come home. I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go and like walk a load of the coast path like that I haven't walked before just in case I can't again. And like <laughs> and so I'd walk from I went from here in my own round to Penzance over the course of like a day and a half and slept out on the on the cliff around just past Pearl Sands and um yeah, and did that. I only had like um I put a poncho up. It's actually my desert one that I brought home and like between a, a wall and then the ground just between like just made like a little pitch to sleep under. And when I woke up in the morning, because I'd done it in the night, um I'd actually like basically slept on top of like the openings of like a rat rabbit runs and stuff. So oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but luckily I didn't get any company, so um but yeah, might have just cursed myself a little bit, but <laughs> yeah big time yeah, yeah. <laughs> how what uh herrick did you deploy on um oh i think i was 11 i think was it 11 was it yeah yeah, yeah. do you yeah, know what i say that I, i'm kind of going to go off on the tangent a little bit so i went out on herrick 12 and uh where where were you stationed where were you based um inkerman was there anyone mate do you know what i knew you were going to say that yeah <laughs> Do you know why? 
I was, was with uh, I was with Bravo Company. When I got to uh, Bastion, we got told we were going to Inkerman, and that's where I was for my um, right. for my yeah for my last tour basically. Oh, right. oh so you and, uh, so you were twelve like after us? Yeah, so I came after you, and I remember sitting in Bastion, and I was really apprehensive about yeah. going out there and i'm not afraid to say it because i got a kazivact on the end of five i got blown up in a wimmick by an anti-tank mine right, okay. um, so yeah i had a nothing catastrophic i had a few blast injuries to my eyes my ears were wrecked i dislocated my wrist for being thrown out of the vehicle right. um so when before the pre pre-deployment training because i was in anti-tanks like hmm. um sort of like a standoffish role um but also ground troops as well uh, in a fire support sort of like role. I um, We got told we were going to get, you know, vehicle born and I absolutely shit a brick because it was one of the right. things that I was looking, sounds really sad or weird. One of the things I was looking forward to was going on the ground. Yeah. And then when I got told I was going in a vehicle, I was like, oh my God. And then especially, go, you know, the mastiffs, did you have mastiffs when you were there? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. being in the we commander's really position do. there. Oh, did you not? No, no. So th there's one route in and one route out of that by the cupola, and that's it. And I was bricking it because I went on all these commander's courses, and I was like, if I get hit in this, yeah. So I was, I was pretty scared going out. And then when we hit um, Bastion, we had one of your guys from Inkerman Inkem come back, uh, one of the Valen lads. I can't remember his name now, so forgive me. Yeah. And uh, he was just saying about all the IED strikes and the casualties that you guys took. And I was like, yeah. oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's not the thing that you really want to hear when, you, when you're taking over from somebody, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few. So <laughs> um, I, I, actually, I don't know the numbers or anything, but I know, like, just from my, my platoon at training, because um, there was quite a chunk of us were all on the same tour um, and there was me um, one, two I think it was two others um, lost both legs above knee um, then I think there was, was it one, two there was a couple were killed and um, another one got caught in the blast that killed one of the guys like from my training team but he was all right and it like fractured his back um like top like the top and bottom lines of the armor plate on his back like where he got thrown forward yeah so he got sent home did all his rehab and um, was fine and then like i think it was just after all lads got back there was like a night out or something and he was ended up walking back to camp and we were based at Bulford. And they staying in jail, and he's crossing the 303 and got hit by a van and like and killed. So, so there's like it's horrendous, uh, yeah. So, there's like, yeah, out of my training platoon, there's like, yeah, quite like six or seven. Well, yes, yeah, there's two or three, is it three dead? And yeah, a bunch of casualties as well. So yeah. <laughs> Did you know when you went into the into the area that it was going to be IED so much as that, or was it just something that happened over the time that you were there? Um, well, I remember when we were training for it, and 
I think we, they knew it was going to be like that, I think, yeah. Because so, we did do quite a lot of work on that, um, well, the Valen detection and that. And, um, but yeah, and I, I remember one patrol we went out and ended up with like, I think we found like two within like 20, 30 meters of each other. As we, we were going to go in one, as my section was going into one compound where the other two were, one was going in to check one, the other was going to another cover point. We come up to the compound we're going to, go up to the side of the wall, and then we was going to go round to go in, go to one corner because I, I was I was always doing the cover for the Valen guy, so I've gone with him, and I was always marking the route as well and on the patrols and doing that. So that that was fun actually, do it every few steps, doing a squat with all the weight and marking and, and uh, but um, but yeah, we got to this one, went to one corner to go round, and there was like a pile of stones with like wires sticking out which might have been like a decoy because then we went to the other corner and I was like on the knee looking and he's like, mm, yeah, I think we better go back. And he's like, what? And he's like, look over there. And like, it was only like a few meters in front. There's like a patch where the dirt, dirt had moved and there was like, you could see the plastic bag wrapping the plate and that. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was quite close together and seen a few. I saw couple was it one two mastiffs get well, well definitely one got destroyed and which was that when we went down the to the patrol bases after and we were setting them up there was the one we were in there was a culvert right next to it and i guess there was an id in it and yeah mastiff took that took out the, and the crater was like five foot deep and the front end of the mastiff was like basically gone and i think that one of the guys in it had got thrown over into the field as well and no, nobody killed in that though. I think the commander might have lost the lower leg, maybe. Um, that that was something to see. <laughs> Although I saw like the dust cloud and then the aftermath. So, but, but yeah. Here's an interesting fact for you, and I. This is why I changed my branch after Herrick Twelve. Right. I got blown up twenty-two times in mastiffs. Bloody <laughs> hell. Yeah, in that in that entire in that entire tour, whether it was wheels taken off um, and the bottoms taken out, so it just goes to show that mm. even though I was dreading going into them, they were pretty decent. Yeah, the only time the the and this is a really strange thing. So I remember the guy from your platoon that came down to um, this is highly ironic, by the way me yeah. talking to you like you were the tour before me yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's, it's giving me eyes like yeah <laughs> mega goosebumps down my spine talking about this the, the the guy that came and spoke to us before basically just said the 611 between Inkerman and and fob jackson which which is uh where the sangin dc used to be or is was just littered with the ieds yeah. when we got there we were driving up and down from Jackson like it was just, you know, we're going out for a Sunday drive. Right. It wasn't until at least a couple of months in um, where we it started getting a little bit more kinetic that, you know, the ID started getting laid. And then, you know, our company HQ decided that it wasn't the best idea to go to Jackson to get the lads mail and drop it off to them at the PVs. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably but, not. That, that's what they were using this for at the time. All oh, right. <laughs> um, 
you so you guys were still using the patrol bases then? No. Yeah, so the PBs were still still there. You had Ezrae, uh, Barrioli. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what sugar. were the others? Two more sugar. That was the oh, one closest. Because I was I was in sugar. Oh, uh, were you? Yeah, we set that one up. Yeah. So, and then they was set that... up Rich's post as well. That was there. Which you know is that? the which is the little one that was just off right corner of the road by just up from sugar but yeah oh so you, so was sugar the one that was the closest to Inkerman? no no there was two but was it one or two between that and no, i think it one yeah there was one or two was if, if, you, if, if you're listening to this and you think we're absolute idiots because we can't remember it it's fucking nearly 10 years ago uh, 11 11 for me yeah yeah 11, 11, 11 and a half actually since i got blown up so yeah, so so we had one that was just outside of um, Inkerman, which you could see, you know, through the naked eye, mm. um, and then there was two more a bit further yeah. down, and then there was one that was the closer, just before like the builder pair, the builder pair of Fasangin, the six one one went into there, but was the um, do you remember the the little outpost that was at the bottom of one of the um, entryways to one of the pbs that was set up in the green belt yeah um so yeah, post, wasn't it? Like, yeah is that what it was called i can't remember yeah because yeah, what um would that was set up um after it's actually this actually happened the night that i went from r and r um and i'd gone back to Inkerman um to get um to get like to head home um and so it was like not long before Christmas of 09, um, as I was actually getting home on Christmas Eve, which I was really surprised I got that date, being I was one of the new guys. Um, and what was that, you saying? But I, I don't know how it happened, but yeah, it's, um, but yeah, so I get a shout in the middle of the night when the guys come woke me up and told me what had gone on. But my section was going out to do an OP. Um, at, that was, because that was on the, the inside of that corner but it was, they'd gone to the compound on the outside of the corner to do an OP that night. And like they were preparing to go out as I was going back to the fob. And um, we had a RMP lad with us. And I think he took my spot in the section and they, they're setting up. And um, the guys that are at the next PB, uh, the snipers this is, decided that they could see Taliban setting up and digging in something. You got, you got well the whole section up there, going no you're shooting at us, fucking the rounds are coming past the head and all that, and then he like this yeah one round went like it's actually for our section you know like the on the old Osprey there's like the flapper material below the back plate, it like went through it there's like two holes in yeah. his in his like armor plate the flapper material and then it went through the chest of that lad that took my place and killed him like straight out and um so then that and his his name was pritchard and surname so that's where then it came pritchard's post after so yeah just so, one of so those well, things yeah uh, it is and you would have thought that this day and age you know with the comm situation and the yeah. and and the guys were on the radio to him telling them as well and it's like can you not see like that shape of the helmets and the 
body armor and that. And I remember how much I could make, how much detail you could make out on the thermal cameras that we had on stack. And it's like, so surely the snipers are going to have like at least decent stuff to know, you know? And especially if people are telling you the round you're firing are coming past us, like just, <laughs> just stop shooting. It's not, it's not hard. Right? But it's, uh... <laughs> from, from my perspective and, and looking back at things these days is there's, there's always two points of view. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't know what they were seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there could have been something different. I, I don't know. No, no, it's, yeah. It's really difficult to say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And especially as I wasn't even there either. And it's what the guys told me after. So, so well, one of my good friends, um, Pritchard's post was, was still up there. Mm. Um, he was tasked to go in there with one of his sections. It was kind of like they did the rotation through with it. Don't know why, because it was, you could, the, the, the guy that used to live in that house used to climb over the wall. All right, like, and go and and go and see him, which is yeah. so random. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but the, the but the Taliban, um, you know, halfway through the tour, put an IED on the bottom. Somehow managed to put an IED underneath the top sangha and blew a massive hole in it. Oh, so right. there was literally a breach in the wall then. Right. And, uh, yeah, we uh, we came gallivanting down in the. Uh, in the Mastiffs and had just had a massive contact down there and managed to get the lads out in the end and we had to destroy the building in the end and then pay the guy off because we blew his house up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I still remember going in there actually and setting them up. But um... That must have been a bit of a wild time doing that because, yeah. you know, as well as the IED threat that was there, did you have much kinetic... You know, um some stuff uh, going on. That, that was like the middle of december so there wasn't like a whole i think when it got that cold there wasn't a whole lot of that going on there was some but not not loads um but like that day i mean yeah we <laughs> we flew got picked up by chinook i think and flew down to jackson and then got drove up from there okay. in masters um and dropped off and i, rem I remember when we got out of the vehicle and, it, and that I was, I think mean, I was always, I remember them like, we were outside waiting for the family to move out, paid in, paying them off. But, you know, like, I guess it was prearranged, but, I don't know. Um, but, and going in, and I remember, so remember, this is like middle of December, or, well, second week of December or something, I think it was. And um, so, you know, like, below freezing at night and, like, getting off the vehicles and, and like, thinking ahead a bit, I'm like, say to my platoon, so it's like, get all the kit, get all the Bergens and that off. And he's like, nah, fine on there for a bit. Like the vehicles are staying here. We'll get in and then grab them. And while we were getting in, because they were giving us cover to get in, while we were getting in, they got retasked to go and do the next bit further up. So fucked off with all our kit on it. So I had like two days of just basic kit, like just my webbing and that. And, um, so I had like two nights sleeping on a concrete floor and I had like one combat jacket on the floor and one over me and like, that's it. No, no gone bag, nothing. Just uh, <laughs> so got a little bit chilly. <laughs> I remember those days, mate. Yeah, yeah. Just having a day sack and that was it. And a, yeah. You know, a jacket in the mountains of the Hindu Kush and you know, that's yeah. another story. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, um, uh, but, yeah, no, but as for contacts, I mean, we had, there was some, we'd get shot at a bit when setting those up and <laughs> I'd actually had, yeah, I suppose that's a tangent we could go on to. I had one earlier in the tour as well, but which had led me to be when I'm sat there, I'm sat at the wall, basically I was on stag, but with no, no Sanger. And I was there while the engineers were building it around me basically. And obviously the Taliban can all see what's going on and there'd be times they start shooting at us. The engineers are like, oh, fuck, like this. and I'm like, just sat there like, did that's like at least 20 feet above her head. What are you doing? So, and I, so I look back and I was maybe was a little bit, got too comfortable maybe, um, or maybe it seems too comfortable with that scenario. But the reason why was like six weeks in, we, we hadn't, we were still up in Inkerman and um, we was doing a, I don't know if remember, there was further up the six on one, there was like, um, there's a bit of a wadi and the road went off to the right into the desert. And like, so we, there was the high ground there. And then the, there was like a main patch of compounds just in the green zone. And we'd been before and we'd been contacted there before. Um, but here we were doing this VCP and the guys were back in the in the valley a little bit. But my section was up on the high ground overwatch and it was like be up there for like three, three and a half hours or something. And just as we were like starting to leave or just before, it's like you see like all the civilians that were there just like clearing out. And uh, it's like, okay. <laughs> and like as I picked up my pack and I had the ECM blue as well. And like, so I just picked that up and I, and yeah, one round went over my head, like felt pretty close. Um, and like, just, I dropped to the floor then again. And I don't know why I did it that way. And I went to throw my pack off straight away instead of go, cause there was a couple of compounds there instead of first going straight for the cover. I just hit the deck and went to throw it off. And as I went to push off to move, another round come in and hit me in the leg just above the knee. Um, but I think since after like thinking about it after, um, partly because of the shape of the wound, I think it must have like skimmed the floor first and gone in sideways because um, it didn't go through or anything and didn't do like really any damage i was like in bastion for like two weeks and got stitched up and then rejoined the unit um so i think um that sort of thing going on then led to me being a bit like i can yeah not even close <laughs> don't, don't worry about it <laughs> so so um, what led what led up to you getting your injuries that you you have now what was um what, what was the patrol and um, right. and, and what was sort of like the the setting for it yeah so that um that one was yeah it's when we were down in sugar and um because i remember there's like the front section it by the road was down low and then the red main part of it was up on the hill and the two compounds over um it sort of jutted out a bit to the one that was next in between the two and they had um, they had one of their murder holes in the front of it, looking down onto one of the Sangers. And there was another one in the opposite corner that we get contacted from on the road. And so we basically gone out first light out the back of Sugar, and we we actually rather than using the alleyways and that in case of booby traps, we was like 
up on the walls going up over the roofs and that and went over and then dropped down into it and basically gone in there to knock those walls down so they couldn't use them and the one that was on the far side um, was in their like little toilet rooms that they have in the court in the compounds and there's like a rag over it and we got in at the valon and it had all been done and everything and me and my buddy went in to go and knock that wall down i was carrying the sledgehammer in my left hand and which now it's funny the the nerve sensation that still feels like that now like it still feels the same so um yeah and then that's, i remember we stepped in the room i remember putting my rifle down leaning against the wall and then going right let's do this and that was it so, so, I remember well next bit I remember I'm guessing was like 10-15 seconds after and I remember digging dirt out of my mouth and feeling like I couldn't breathe um, and no I couldn't see anything and so a couple of lads have told me since that like where I did have dirt in my mouth it's also covered my eyes up and that and so I couldn't see anything um, and it was one of the walls had fallen down and was laying on me, which is why I couldn't breathe. So, um, and then, and then, and that's all I remember. And then maybe 10 minutes later, I don't know how long, but I remember being on the stretcher, being run back up the six on one back to, to get picked up. And I remember the two of our section commanders that had come up from other sections to help uh, talking to me on the head of the stretcher. And I remember saying to them, I felt like I was drifting out, like what I imagined dying would be like. And but I think it was just it. Well, no, it was just my mind blacking out because um, the anaesthetist from the Mert that come picked us up came and visited me in hospital and said I was awake and talking the whole way back to Bastion. So, um, but I've got no memory other than those two bits until I woke up in Birmingham, like two weeks later. So. It's crazy, isn't it? The the, the the amount that the mind can take um, yeah. especially you know with with catastrophic injuries as well yeah uh, it's crazy how it just like it's got that self-preservation mode in there too and i guess it's like you, you know you, you could use the analogy of like fighters when they get knocked out you know people are talking to them afterwards but then they n never really remember anything you know for a certain time afterwards and that must have been you know what sort of happened to you you must have had like a massive concussion as well yeah i think i did because obviously like i said it was i was inside the room in that and i think the actual idea itself was probably i the only i don't actually know how it was set off what actually happened and i haven't asked but it doesn't matter it doesn't change anything but when i've thought about it yeah because of how my injuries are and how the other guy was I'm pretty sure it had been put in the wall from the outside and and was like just outside that room maybe. And because like my left leg's like slightly longer than my right and you know the blast goes in the cone and at the time my my arm it was it just blew the forearm bones out and had left the hand on the strip of skin and um obviously my right hand's fine and and I got perf I had a perforated drum on my left ear. Um so I'm pretty sure it was there and slightly behind me um, because my mate who was maybe a meter in front of me, maybe just over, um, like he had, it was his right eardrum got perforated. So I guess the sound bounced off the wall. Um, and then he had a couple of scratches on his back and that was it. 
Um, and like they, and when they come to find me, they didn't find him for a minute because he got sent like through the wall into the next compound down the hill, like down low. So they didn't find him straight away. But yeah, he like he only had like minor scratches and stuff, nothing. So that's why I'm pretty sure it was behind me. So, um, but yeah, that's. <laughs> It's a good uh, recollection of something, you know, quite yeah. catastrophic that's happened yeah. to you, you know. But yeah, that was it. That's where I started. See, I tangented. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, concussion. That was it. I'm pretty sure I did because of being. I reckon I was slammed in the roof, and I've got uh, there's a scar across the back of my neck, and the only thing I could think that was was from my helmet going back, with the impact. So and it looks like it's that sort of line across the bottom edge of the helmet. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> so, yeah. so you, did you get flown back to back to the UK straight away, or did you stay in Bastion for a while? Um, I think I was, from what I was in Bastion, a couple of days. Oh, and really? Then, yeah, and then flown home. Yeah, because well, it was only like one or two days. Um, was it? Yeah, yeah. It was only. It, I don't remember the exact dates, but I think it was. It was only a couple of days. So that, that's actually, quite... while I was in hospital that year, um, I don't know if you remember it, because it, it would have been not long before you deployed, but um, there was a show on Channel 4 doing the flying hospital thing where they had crews on the C-17s bringing people back. Uh, my, that, my, yeah. my flight was actually on there. So I, <laughs> no I, hospital, I got to see myself like all bandaged up, intubating everything on the plane coming back. But I was on there with like four others. And I, I got a little bit irritated because like they went through telling everyone what all their injuries were and everything, but left me out. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, come on, like, just send give them an email back to edit it. Uh, sorry, you should have sent them an email back so they could have edited it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, um, but yeah, it was um, funny one. Yeah. So when you got back, I'm kind of pushing forward a little bit. Yeah. Um, what were what were kind of the recovery pathways that you got put into, which kind of, you know, put you into the line of mm. starting surfing? What what were they or what did that involve? Um, so, I mean, it actually started right in hospital. You know, somebody, one of the, I think it was actually was the head process at the time, come up to cast my arm up and get that going. And, um, you know, so there was, but then when I got to the rehab center, there was, there's obviously all the base physical training that they take you through um, and showing you how to adapt things and do things differently, like um, so that you can do that work. And then there's, um, then they show you and actually take you through like getting the legs made and what you can do. You get show, you can see everything that's possible and what other people are doing. Um, and then there's all the, activities that they do um or um which a lot was run by battleback i don't know if you'd ever heard them but it was kind of a sub part of help for heroes for doing our like adventure training stuff so there's always stuff advertised like um there's like opportunities to go gliding and um i went i actually went kayaking with them in germany and um um there's like in the in the spring summer months we'd go to one of the lakes near Heathrow and be doing water skiing and stuff and um so yeah we were just given all these opportunities to try things and um 
and then if you found something you want to stick on you can just like jump on it and go and then you get all the support you could need and like with me with all my stuff i'd i'd several times go back into them go i need i want to try this design for a paddle arm and do this and can we try making this and it was yeah it was all that side of things of um just showing you what things can be done and and then enabling you to go do it and do what you want to do so it's pretty cool the the sort of like the development of the Afghanistan here and and again I'm going to use the analogy of recovery pathways yeah. to you know getting people like yourself back mm. to kind of getting that self confidence back as well yeah because you know I, I remember back you know 2007 when when I came back that there was literally none of that I you know you say and this is how far everything had come in that you know five year period is that bastion there was only one um camp bastion there and i literally was there for about was that can i even remember being there no i got flown straight to kandahar and i was in oh. kandahar there was a couple of other guys that were in vikings that got hit by ieds and they were in a lot worse yeah condition that, that i was in and right. there weren't really IED strikes then either because it wasn't an IED war, it was a kinetic war. It was right. going out, you know, finding your enemy, you know, you, the generic stuff that you join up to do. Yeah. Um, so w when I, I literally was in Kandahar for about maybe three or four hours and then I was on a, on, a, on a plane back to the UK, which is kind of really funny really because I went back to Celio Hospital in Birmingham. I remember either waking up there or being there and then within the day, my missus and my dad came and picked me up from the hospital and I was back home again. And that oh, was it. And that yeah. was literally it. So in the space of, I, I was in the last two weeks of, of, of my tour. So within the space of being blown up and being back in my mum and dad's house was probably about five days. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is mental. Like, yeah. could you yeah. imagine that now? Yeah. And yeah. I never, I, I didn't get any trim from it. Uh, I didn't have any counselling or anything. I was literally yeah. like, and the, the, the really, like, the worst thing about it was, is when I eventually came back, because everyone went on leave, everyone went on their, you know, um, pottle. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're six or seven weeks off. When I got back, everyone had gone on draft. Everyone had changed. Okay, all the, the whole sort of like emphasis of that cohesion of being together with all those people, similarly to like you know what you would have had, yeah, it, it wasn't there, and I was like, it just, it was a really weird, weird transition, if I'm honest. Mm. Well, I can but, uh, <laughs> so, when did you realise that you were going to surfing was? the pathway that you were going to take or the, or the, or the, um, or the linear line that you were going to kind of take off? Um, well, I mean, I, I clicked with it straight away as soon as I, yeah. Um, like, and it was funny cause the way that first event went, I went to, I'd, um, I had an issue with my stubbies at the time and I was walking at the welcoming bit and there happened to be one of the, there's a prosthetist from one of the local prosthetic offices was there and it my the guy who run the event 
told him about the issue that I was having and he was like, oh, come on, I'll just come over to the office and we'll sort it out. So I ended up doing that and I didn't do like all the dry land training and all that stuff that was going on. So then I just showed up the first day going in the water and just jumped in and went. And that like, was where I was saying I'd been doing the kayaking and all the water skiing and stuff before and I'd done snow skiing as well. And so, I don't know, just the transition on to how to manoeuvre the board and stuff just felt natural. Um, and a lot, and I'd grown up in the water as well, although I hadn't surfed. Um, I was always comfortable in the water, so everything just flowed. And then when I come back, um, I got linked with a guy called Dan Joel here. He's got his surf school down at the beach near mine. And so I got linked with him to be able to keep going and keep surfing. And I was like, yeah, actually, yeah, this, I've got to keep doing this. And that's, there was just something straight away that I was just like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And I think part of it was even then I was able to see that it was something that I could do completely independently because like I, I wanted to do more kayaking and stuff like that. But, you know, it's like, you got, I'm going to, I'd have to need help for that, I think. Although, well, now actually, maybe I could manage it on my own. But even though I think those sort of things, if you're going to go down a river, you want someone with you anyway. But it was still, that was my mindset was like, I want to be able to be independent with everything. Um, and so, yeah, I was just like, uh, just <laughs> went for it. <laughs> and it, it took a long time though. I was still like, it was, oh. And I want to say like at least a few years before I could actually do like a surf without having anyone pushing me, like even to get out or to catch waves or anything. It was, it was a while. Um, but I think there was several, there's, lo there's probably too many aspects to that reasons why to go into now, but um, eventually managed to work through them all. And, um, and yeah now it's yeah <laughs> i just go by myself suit suit up by myself at home like i've got a board rack for my i've got this all train um four-wheel drive wheelchair and i also got a board rack on the side of it and i so i just i suit up in my garage put everything well unless i'm going somewhere else but then i'll do it in the van but um yeah just load up on the chair and just drive like ride it down there and just put pop the board near the water if the tide's going to be coming in, wheel the chair back up the beach and then hop back down the beach and jump in and go. And um, yeah, so it's almost like a one of the first e-bikes then, but with four wheels. Yeah, 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 and the same price as like a brand new car as well. <laughs> so, Who is that? Yeah, it, thankfully I got a lot of help with that from um, Lesma and the Rifles Charity. So it was um, yeah, sixteen grand chair. So it's like. <laughs> like, Talk, talking about all those sort of like charities and stuff um how did you get involved with like the wave project and and get involved with like the adaptive surfing competitions because you've just recently competed in the adaptive surf champs at the wave in bristol haven't you yeah yeah um so um the wave project thing came where i mean i haven't done a whole lot with them but i went up i think there's maybe video of me up but um on the flow rider things okay um i'd got i invited go up and just do some bits there and there's some filming going on with me as well 
and it but the guy was filming stuff with them as well so it's through the filmer that that happened okay um and then i can't even actually this is where my memory's not that great actually as to how i actually got linked with the competitive team in the beginning i can't i can't really remember um it must have been kind of an evolution of being linked yeah. with like the other groups. I mean, were you with yeah. the? You talked about earlier the operational surf charity as well. Yeah. Is that yeah. is that something more recent, or was that something that's always kind of been there that you've mm. that has helped you along as you've adapted what you're doing? Well, Operation Surf is actually where I learned surf. I got I got this is a is based in California. Okay. Uh, um, I actually got taken over with Help for Heroes in uh, October 2012, um, and that's when I first learned. Um, and their base, like that's all they do is teach military, like service men and women that have been affected by the service, and not just physical. And it's the people that it's the mental as well, and they they're the ones that probably get more benefit from it than anyone else but um yeah and i'd kept on yeah i'd learned with them then i wanted to go back to the next event six months later and it was partly it was partly because i wanted to go back and do it again myself but also it was to um try and help them do the same thing that they'd done for me for others um, so I could have my perspective to help them, you know, being in a similar position. Um, and then that continued from there and is up up until last, obviously up until last year with the pandemic starting, I was going over there like two or three times a year for like a couple months at a time. Um, and like living with them, doing those events and, and going around and surfing all sorts of spots over there and i've actually probably surfed more different waves over there than i have here so <laughs> i tend to stay kind of local here but um um but yeah and then that's where it developed from there and then now there's like the full ambassador role that i have with them and um and yeah um and i i think i maybe it was maybe through that or somebody that see me yeah i can't remember how the competing actually started I don't think I sought it out. I think someone said to me, Oh, are you interested in doing this? And I was like, Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But at the time, because I'm, I was being told, Oh, you're really good, up But in my head, I'm like, Yeah, you're only saying that because I'm riding like with no limbs sitting down. If you compare it to what anyone else is doing, it's a load of shit. <laughs> but and uh, but I went into like the first comp I did thinking, Oh, yeah, I'm really good, blah, blah, and all this, and, and go in, and it was just not always like i'd like complete bottom of the rung like actually no sorry no there was one person behind me actually but it was like it not really like not really any scores to speak of i wasn't really i mean i could turn obviously turn and go down the line and kind of trim and weave but i wasn't doing any maneuvers or anything i wasn't i wasn't at that point then um and on really big boards as well and like and that's boards have come down maneuvers have started to develop and and it's moving on so it must be quite inspiring to see that other people in the same situation that you are are doing things that you want to do and didn't think were possible and then when you're seeing that you yeah know, 
it must be it must be quite a what's the word kind of a cool prospect really because you're like do you know what that's what i'm going to aim to do next time and like like we were talking about at the very start of the podcast is you know you're just trying to better yourself each time and that's yeah. what i think's really unique about surfing or anything you know i do jiu-jitsu as well yeah. and it's why they compare so well is because you're always learning and every time you go out there there's something different than you pick up on and you get better you know whether it's point one of a mil each single time and yeah. uh, and something to progress towards as well yeah 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 definitely um and i've definitely made a lot especially this last year but in particular last like four or five months um because i've been up to the wave pool quite a lot um and having those repetitions are good waves to actually be able to try what i've got in my head um has made the development big time, like go really quickly. Um, and like getting the equipment better. Um, like one little change I made a few months ago was getting, taking the fins off that I'd been given with that board that I usually ride, which were way too big. And I got onto the size fins that were right for my weight. And then they were, I went from like stiff fiberglass ones to, um, on the FCS range, like the arc ones, so like more generating, speed generating ones, and the difference was like, was like that. It was went from like turns going from like to feeling like they were going around. Um, Fins can be a game changer. Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of that, um, and then so I know I've made progress because well, I thought I was just from how it felt, even on the lefts, and I know I did that was always my weak point because I'm a regular foot. And um, so I used to actually would avoid going left actually, because I just like going right. <laughs> but I've put time in improved there, improved going right as well. And then when we actually went into the comp, I I knew I closed the gap because for like the first half of the right heat in my sit and kneeling category, I was leading. And, I, and then it was only like the fifth set out of six that, the other guy took the lead on the right because you only get you're taking the top right score and the top left score and put them together in the pool um but our score was only 0.6 between the two of us whereas last time it was like a few points um but then i didn't surf as well in, as i did in practice on the actual heat so i think i was like five points behind in the end but the gaps closed but obviously i'm developing and learning and this guy is like, I actually said to him a few years ago, I seen him up at Snowdonia way four, And I was like, yeah, I'm aiming for you, by the way. I'm like coming out like, because he keeps winning. Um, and where I'm developing, he's also developing. And he's like learned to do like a full 360 spin on takeoff. And that's so he's like getting up into the excellent range of scores on lefts. And, but then when we talked after, because is looking at his because we're in different positions because he's only missing one leg, but he rides on his knee and then with his arm holding the rail as well. So his balance point is actually a lot smaller. Like what he's balancing on is a lot smaller than mine. And I, cause I was looking at, oh, he's facing forward. He's holding the rail and pulling the board round and, and not actually fully realizing what his struggle was. So we all have different ones that are limiting and it's not, 
always as clear as what you think. So we're probably more, once I can develop it more, more even than maybe what it might appear from the outside. Mate, you uh, could blast him out of the water by practicing some airs. That, well, basically, that's what someone said to me. It's like, oh, now you've got to learn the three six, And I was like, well, no, because I'm always catching up and he's going to learn something else new. So I'm like, looking at how that's done, I'm not sure if I can do it or not, but I haven't had a chance to try yet. But yeah, that's something I've, because I've that's something I want to do those airs. That's why I'm thinking, oh, I've got to go beyond that. And, and I know... <laughs> there was actually one one day I had a wave in Santa Cruz. I was like inside of um, oh, what's the point called? Oh, Cow yeah, Cow's Beach. So it's like the inside of the cove from Steamer Lane. So it comes along the point and then wraps in. There's like the inside bit there and the near the beach. And I was like going on this way, but there was this like refract chop coming back off the cliff and they'd like hit that and it launched me off the thing and i was like well I like didn't land or anything but like fell on so i know i can get in there but for for years like i can't say how long but obviously i'm i i was i will swear by visualization and all and there's this the dream scenario i've had in my head for years is to like be on could be like j-bay or like but really in my head it's backdoor that i like had this sick like pro 10 foot barrel like going and then come out and just like a huge like alley-oop out the end that's what's been in my head for, for i don't know how long um and so now i've had i've had my first barrel but not not the like not the rest so that's got to come and um but, I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> that that would probably be the next thing, I think. Those are your aims and your goals, right? And if you don't have them, well, there's not a lot to kind of look to, is there? You know, we all no. need we all need some sort of um, some sort of like point on the horizon to aim to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was saying with the visual, visualization working, and I, I would say to anyone who would probably work for anything is – because of having that goal in mind, whenever I'm watching videos or the guys um, uh, vlogs and stuff, and I, I watch Jamie O'Brien a lot and Nathan Florence and all those guys and Kerr Rothman and the guys from there that like when they got the, the point of view shot, I mean, I'm not just looking at it going, oh yeah, oh, that looks nice. I'm like watching like where they're putting the board, looking at how the water's moving, the shapes that are going on and like, the timing, where they're going, what what's happening to the feathering of the lip ahead of them, and and when I actually my barrel, it's like I didn't think it was something that was going to come up in that instant because it it was actually at Bristol in the wave pool, and but it was like at the end section on one of the settings that it isn't like the expert barrel setting, and I'd I'd had like three or four turns and like. Then I was going about to, I was just coming down to the bottom turn and go for another one on the inside. And then I just seen just exactly what I've been seeing in all these videos, just in, saw the shape change of the face and just instantly went, oh, what? And just like duck straight in and then see the lip line right ahead of me going just over the nose of my board. And then next thing I know, I'm out in the flats like, what? Like, <laughs> and then I saw the next section look like it was going to do it again, but it, 
wasn't really. And I went to try and tuck into that and then it smacked me down. And then that's where I look at that. Now, if I had the same thing again, what I should have done was actually like float up and over it, or that would have been a good one to try and air up over that bit. So, but that's where def visualization definitely helps because if I hadn't have been pitching all that, I'd probably, I wouldn't have recognized that as being that opportunity to tuck in. It's, um, and, and then in, I was like, I was just, I was in proper, <laughs> like happy dream mode all the way home. Obviously as you would be, and I'd sit in here thinking about it all. And, um, and then I went, oh wait, hang on. There's photographers up there all the time. So I went onto the page and was like, and then went, oh, oh there it is. <laughs> they got the whole wave on the sequence. Oh, like, wow. Right from takeoff all the way through. So I actually, yeah, I went on and bought that whole lot. I was just like, <laughs> and then, and then instantly that went to my profile pictures and, and I was like, um, but that, I, because normally I'm quite emotionally in level. I'm not, I don't, particularly get that excited or that down about stuff but and I never normally really cry or anything but when I saw those photos and having VRG I wasn't like I was really happy but I was streaming like like full like I guess all this emotion had left that let out because I'd actually done something I'd been wanting to do and been working for for a long time um, and then it's actually unlocked a bit more because now whenever I'm watching stuff where people are doing that like going after what they're trying to do like like i actually like watching um like the voice and american idol and stuff but more so the the auditions and stuff but because I, I love music anyway and i think i don't really care if people think about those shows because and big parts of them are rubbish but when you're seeing people going like that and actually getting their dreams done and i, I yeah i'll get all welling up now at that and um, even yesterday, like I'm watching the, I love F1 as well. And watching the race yesterday is one of the best races on the best weekends I've seen in a very long time. And I don't know if you watch that or not. I watch it occasionally. I was going to flick it on, but yeah, I never got around to it in the end. But like basically on the first lap connection between Hamilton and Vettel, uh, no, not Vettel, what about Verstappen? It was still Red Bull. But, and he went off like 180 freaking into the barriers, race stopped. Hamilton gets a 10 second penalty, which most people think was wrong, but um, it's what ha he said at the end, it's what happened to happen. So he's got this penalty, he ends up at one point, I think he was 30 odd seconds behind with like, I don't know, 15 laps left or something, 20 laps left or something and just comes through two laps from the end takes the lead and wins and i'm like as he's get, i'm like you can feel it building as he's going and like and yes yeah, as soon as he's getting close and made the pass and i like, start crying and i'm like look and it's like that moment it's almost like it's unlocked something that was maybe i don't know if it was held back or maybe it's because i was so focused on trying to do that one thing that everything else was like staying out of it and it wasn't registering um but yeah there's there's yeah a film may be more complete now i don't know but but not that's not like i felt incomplete but i always felt a bit weird that i was so level you know and i see so many people going bah, 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 and get like reacting at stuff like really easily and um 
so I felt weird in some ways, but now it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like imagine something. what that imagine what that barrel at pipe's going to be like or back door then when you get it. <laughs> I know, I know. Even just thinking about it, it starts to happen. <laughs> so, but that I think I need <laughs> my my first goal before I even think about doing that is I go and surf Lev here and um, is that you know that place or? Yeah, not yeah. very well, yeah. I know most people do, but I look at it and I'm like, I'm like, mm, yeah, I think I'm just about ready now. And I've got quite a few people that surf it telling me I'm ready. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I get, get that's got to be that first. And it, it's one of those things as well. I always thought a couple of years ago, I was thinking, where would I want my first one to be? And it was, I had that thought that really I should have it at the closest barrel wave to me. But it didn't didn't happen that way. So. Fucking dog. <laughs> so something just came through, something just came through the letterbox so at the front door. So he just ran out onto the patio at the back barking. <laughs> so aggressive dogs sometimes, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and he's a cavalier, King Charles as well. <laughs> Vicious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mate, what are your uh, ambitions for the future? Um. Well. Um, Obviously, getting more barrels, but obviously, yeah. Um, but not and not. I mean, obviously, not just that. But there's oh, there's all these like high class waves that I want to surf. But I was there like main goals in mind, and like I've already mentioned, like J Bay's one, and just look at that place, like oh god. Um, and cloud break and the, like, the famous sort of things and and then i haven't been to indo or any bali or anything yet um i want to do all that um i think i'd want to go do it sailing and i've done i've done a little bit of sailing here I've done like a comp crew course and that and i want to go do some more of that i actually might be i might go and do um boat building course soon in okay. Falmouth. yeah and um i actually met someone at, at the wave contest um who uh, actually teaches the course so um and i'm quite interested in that that sounds good as it goes along with what else i'm doing now anyway um and yeah get my hand in better at shaping and um yeah try and actually win a contest is one goal um the uh like the world title would be nice but I know how good the others are in my category, so um, it's it's not out out of the question, but it's uh, going to take a lot of work. But that's, I like the work, so um, and then I've got more development going, more practice with um, walking on my full legs as well, like the the X three legs that I've got, because um, that was one thing I during my while I was still doing the rehab, I we just couldn't i couldn't get the feeling right the connection with the socket to my leg and because of tissue amounts and stuff but recently well a few months ago with my current prosthesis found a design for the socket that sorts that out and i got on them after not using them for six years and it's like i was better than when i last used them having not used them um which partly was down to my fitness as well and my weight's down massively as well um um, which is something else we learned through the that they had wrong at Headley to begin with. <laughs> um, 
but that's that's maybe a story for another time. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, goal. Yeah, that's probably my main goals. Really, I can't. <laughs> I've, I've got so many little interesting things that I try and do and work on that. Yeah, <laughs> too many to go into right now. I think. Um, we're going to roll the podcast out. Uh, just finish it off with a bit of a quick fire round like I do with all my uh, surfing ones. So if you had one fin set up for the rest of your life, would it be a single fin, twin fin, quad, bonza, finless or thruster? Oof. Uh-huh. I'd, just, I'd have to go with what's working really well at the moment and that'd be a thruster. But I, do like, surfing. Oh, go on. I do like twins though. <laughs> basically, basically it's because when if i'm on a normal board where the fins are in the normal place need a twin but because my setup's like knee boarding so it's further forward for the pivot okay. uh, yeah <laughs> sorry that's not very quick but <laughs> oh, it's great mate <laughs> favorite surfer and why oh <laughs> uh it's got to be john john of his um I love the style, the speed, power, where he can put himself in the barrel. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but there's there's several others that are very, very close in my eye, but, but he stands out to me. The first surf film you ever watched? Oof. Um, are you looking at them on the side? No, no, I'm just trying to think. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, might I don't know actually. Everyone gets stuck on this. I can't remember. No, because there, there's a bunch of in, like stuff on YouTube, but actual film that I remember f- earliest was Thundercloud. Yep. Yeah, but um, yeah. Like yeah, I couldn't say for certain, but that's the main that's the main big like long feature length surf film. But then Hollywood one (laughs) was chasing Mavericks. (laughs) Um, um, It's not a bad one. At the end of that, I turned to my mate. Was like, "You want to push me in on one of them?" (laughs) (laughs) Fair one. That's that's another one. Though big waves, right? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mind actually trying some big waves today. I might might have a go at Cribber one year. Goals, mate. It's all about goals. Yeah, yeah. The last surf film you watched? Uh, Sonic Souvenirs. There's a piece from Vans. Um, It's like a 20-minute piece about Mikey February. Um, If you haven't seen it, (laughs) oh, my God. Yeah, I saw it the day it came out. I was waiting for it to come out. He, he's one of my favourite surfers as well. It's like... he's, a, he's really stylish, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the best person to share a lineup with. <laughs> There's this um, lad called Louis on the the adaptive team, and it's just like the ways and his character and everything being around. It just brings a mood up. And actually, when I was at, we had one of the training sessions of the team like, a few weeks before the comps, like a month or so ago. And yeah, that session was like on the left I had, that was the best surfing I ever had. And I thought about it afterwards, it was like the headspace and like 
calm and chill, like happy mood because of how he was being and the interactions that we were having was like, just set me in this mood. I was just like, just flowing. So. The worst person to share a lineup with. <laughs> um, no one likes answering this. <laughs> Do you want an actual individual person or? <laughs> you have to tell me. It's I'd not... say the freaking all the emmets that we get coming down there in the summer, that like they that can like catch a wave and ride a ride a board, but don't know what the hell they're doing. I've had so many times, like even at home. <laughs> One day I remember there's like a group of four of them paddled out, but they were sitting like right at the inside, right at the point where I'd be taking off. And I had to pull back from a load of waves and because they, they're just sitting there and like turning around and paddling without even looking what's going on behind them. And there's people like that that's the worst to be around. And then they were moaning about people getting in the way afterwards. And I, I snapped a little bit. But, <laughs> um, but yeah. If there's one wave you could surf for the rest of your life, what would it be? Or where would it be? Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. I can't really say one that I haven't surfed yet. So, um, where would you like? What's what's the main goal? Like, what wave would you like to surf then? If we would turn it that way. Um. Well, I think it'd have to be J Bay is the one that I'd really want to go out of my way. I'd have to pick that. But. Hmm. <sighs> It's like probably well there's a wave near Santa Barbara that's like out on private land that I've been to and I actually had one of my worst wipeout experiences at. If I had that that wave perfect if it was if it, if we're talking if it's in perfect conditions that that place probably because um, it's one I've surfed already. Um, but I think if it was one of those where it was like, you've got your normal circulations of everything and it's not perfect every time and you can only surf one wave, it would be Bristol. <laughs> so It's a good answer. I want good waves, so it's like... <laughs> and actually, it's funny, a mate of mine, um, he's actually coaching uh, Courtney Conlog at the moment, and he said he said that about Kelly's wave. He's because he's, he surfed that. He said if if he could only surf one wave again, the rest of his life that'd be it. So, it was, uh, wave pulls are the way forward, potentially. Certainly for training. <laughs> yeah. Certainly for training, and they definitely should be part of competition. So, so. Martin Pollock, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast, and that I've loved your stories, mate. It's been epic. Yeah, thanks, Has. Yeah, it's been a good one. And that's it. So tune in on the 6th of September for a conversation with a fascinating man, former Royal Marine, owner of Greenberry Coffee Company and van life vlogger of the Nomadic Veteran channel on YouTube, Russ McDonough. So catch you all then.